Support for the Bronx Bomber Babble podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Gentlemen, shaving your downstairs area can be difficult, but those troubles are a thing of the past with Manscaped's Lawnmower 3.0. Featuring skin-safe technology, it glides nice and smooth, so you're not in any danger of nicks and cuts to your delicate downstairs area. It also has a convenient LED light, so you can see where you're trimming, plus it's waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. I've been using mine for a few weeks now, and it's awesome. It works great, and it will totally change your grooming game. The Lawnmower 3.0 comes included in the Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Crop Reviver and Crop Preserver anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. Get all these great products, as well as a super comfortable anti-chafing boxers, plus a great travel bag to carry it all in. The Perfect Package is valued at over $150, but right now you can get it all for just $89.99. Manscaped features some of the perfect gifts to give to the men in your life. Gift your friends, your family, and yourself the gift of Manscaped. Right now, when you go to manscaped.com, you can use the code BABBEL and get 20% off plus free shipping. That's BABBEL, B-A-B-B-L-E, for 20% off your order and free shipping. Manscaped, your balls will thank you. And we are live for the 86th episode of the Bronx Bomber Battle podcast. Unfortunately, we're still without Matt Lesluigi today, but uh, we do have uh, a new co-host today. Uh, we're welcome aboard uh, Nick Simonelli. Uh, Nick's been, been leading our charge on the, uh, the BBB bets. If you guys have been following those along. Uh, so, so welcome, Nick. How we doing, fellas? Glad to be on. And, hey. uh, of course, we're, we're joined by G as well. Um, hey. So... We're recording this Monday night, uh, May the 10th. Yankees fresh off back-to-back walk-off victories against the Washington Nationals. Took two out of three against the Houston Astros as well. Seven and two homestand, finally back above 500. Actually, they're in second place, which is kind of wild. The whole division is, is pretty mediocre right now. But off day today before starting a nine-game road trip. Most importantly, starting tomorrow in Tampa against the Rays. But... How are we feeling, boys? We're we're finally back to winning baseball. Things are starting to look up. What's what's the mood? The Yankees are fun again. I mean, that's all there really is to it. Early season struggles sucked. Like it was just not fun to watch. So it's good to see the Yankees winning baseball game. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd say maybe they're fun-ish. You know, there's still a lot of stuff that is kind of really annoying, but you know, they're winning a lot of series, and that's what matters. You know, there's there there is there is a lot more stuff to be to be excited about than there was a couple weeks ago. So fun-ish. Yeah, it, it's definitely ugly, and and no one's been more critical of the offense day in and day out than me. But an interesting article, actually, a couple articles came out from a bunch of different sources. Uh, let's talk specifically uh, the one in the Athletic from Lindsey Adler. Uh, that just dropped today. Baseball is struggling offensively league wide. It's not just a Yankee problem. Like, sure, we're expect we're we're one of the teams that should be finishing in the top five or six in the league. And right now, I think in most key categories, they're like twelfth to twentieth. So they're they're underperforming more than other teams. But on a whole, production is way down. So it almost makes you wonder what the hell's going on. I mean, 
there's talk of the dead end ball. There's maybe some other factors at play here. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to just settle in the, well, fuck my Rob Manfred again, but here we go again. It's, the it's same tough drum. not to. I mean, you don't to, have to but... do it because if you don't, then I will. Yeah, really. Um, he's not, yeah. he's just, go ahead, Jake. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. But yeah, if, if someone, someone else say it before I say it, because it's, I mean, it's it. easy. It's easy to fall into that. And it seems cheap just because like everybody hates Manfred, but it, the dude can't do himself any favors. Like he, there were simple rules that people loved universal DH last year. And he decides take away that, but keep the extra inning runner on base rule. Like there's simple things that he could have done to at least help himself out. And he just simply doesn't do it. So he's kind of just asking for it at this point. Like the dude is not a good commissioner. And you could say that about many leagues. I know, I know we do in our chat, but we're talking about baseball here and Manfred just doesn't do himself any favors. I mean, yeah, so if, if we're doing a little mini tangent on Rob Manfred, this is this is what I'll say. Like, it's not unwarranted. Like, you're not just bashing on the guy for the sake of bashing if he keeps screwing shit up. Like, I don't even think you need to compare him to other leagues, right? They And in terms of strikeouts and, like, the ball and all this stuff, like, offense has been training this way for a while, right? Like, three true outcomes, strikeout, walk, home run. So yeah, you know what? If you, it, it's not like there's just a night and day solution overnight, right? Like players are being taught to hit this way, taught to play the game this way. And while maybe it's not great to see lots of home runs, like it's exciting. And over the course of 162 game season, you want it to be exciting. So like, if you have thoughts, like let's tinker with the ball a little bit, then yeah, let's tinker with it a little bit. But like when you tinker with the ball and home runs go down and outs go up like dramatically. So like, uh, you know, that was illustrated in an article by Devin Fink. Like, I don't see how you could possibly be surprised by that. And it seems like they do these things and then they're surprised by what happens afterwards. Yeah. That's actually um, something I do want to draw some attention to just because I'm absolutely warming up to that three, two outcomes, home runner bus type thing. Um, in a normal setting, right? Where the game's not being manipulated in terms of the baseball that's being used. Um, specifically, there, there's a really, really interesting chart that, that Devin posted in his article. Uh, and, and he focused on percentage of home runs, or I think he actually referred to it as home run probability, right? Uh, in terms of exit velocity. And he put in buckets of under 90 miles per hour, 90 to 94, 95 to 99. 100 to 101, 105 to 109, and then 110 plus. And specifically, there was a huge dark spot in the middle of this graph. Uh, baseball's 95 to 100, uh, from 95 to 109 miles per hour, and collectively, the home run probability was like drastically down this year. And, and these are balls with um, launch angles. Sorry, that was the other part of the graph. Yeah, uh, at 20 to 24 degrees. So if you're hitting the ball high, like super high at 100, uh, 100 mile per hour exit velocity, yeah, I mean, that's not going to go anywhere. But the peak uh, launch angle where balls should be getting up in the air enough to clear the fences, and they're not. I mean, that's that's right there in your face. The ball is dead. It's not traveling. 
batters are still making strong contact and the ball's not traveling the way it used to. Uh, it's it's yeah, concerning. He had uh, just under that in the same article. It, it was on Fangraphs, by the way. Just want to shout that out. Um, he had, um, it was comparing 2019 to 2021 so far. And it was great because home runs, it was 20 to 24 degree launch angle, 100 to 104 mile an hour exit velo. And it was a home run looking like 58-ish percent of the time in 2019. And that's down to about 24% of the time in 20, uh, 2021. And doubles went from about 17, 18 to 33, which, so that's, I guess, what you want. But outs also went from about 17, 18 to like 32, 33. So they, they wanted to turn these home runs into singles, doubles. They're getting doubles. Singles looks like it gone up maybe a little bit, not that much, or down, honestly. I mean, like, I don't see how they could have they're possibly just turning come more to outs. I don't see how they possibly could have come to the conclusion that they were going to turn home runs into singles unless they yeah, by started playing with, like, the ball. like I, dude, they'd have to be playing with a field hockey ball to turn a home run into a, you know, into a single. Like, it doesn't make any sense how you could come to that conclusion. I think one of the most stark instances of this was Friday night's game. Um, we'll, we'll we'll get into it when we we run through uh, the games the Yankees play in the past week. But Friday night's ball game game was tied most of the way. Yankees bullpen imploded late, but yeah. in the first five or six innings against Patrick Corbin, the Yankees were on him. I mean, everything was hit hard. Now some of them were on the ground, but a lot of line drives. Specifically, Clint Frazier hit two frozen ropes to center field that just. I don't even think Victor Robles moved from his spot. I mean, th- these are balls that a year or two ago with maybe a more juiced ball fly over his head, bounce off the wall. Yeah. I don't think they had enough launch angle to, to get over the fence, but I mean, these guys are scorching the ball and it's just going nowhere. And, and when I was watching that game, I was like, huh, something's definitely off here because the Yankees hit a bunch of pop-ups. You say you got under the ball, right? You hit a bunch of double, uh, double play ground balls. Yeah. You got on top of the ball and you drove it into the ground. But when you're hitting line drives and you're still not getting results, and I start to question, like, maybe they aren't completely at fault for <laughs> this stagnant offense. I think there's other factors at play. Well, I, I think that's interesting because I was, you know, I read these articles and I was like, yeah, you know what? It's a very serious league-wide problem because baseball has its issues already with, like, excitement and fan engagement and how they market the game to their fans, how they market their stars and all that type of stuff. Like, and to be going through this now where it's like, Hey, you know what? We tried to make this change and it's making the game in my opinion, like more boring and less in, you know, less, yeah. you know, I feel like more tedious as a fan. Yeah. yeah. Like it's you, like much less. It's ones that you watch. see, you see the launch and you think that ball's gone. And then you see right fielder doesn't even have to move. Like, and it's not even going up to the wall. Like it's no, literally drag it's like, on the hey, you know what? we made this change and we doubled the rate of pretty much the most boring play in the game, which is just a lazy fly ball to the outfield. Like, so, I mean, I, I mean, I, that all notwithstanding, like, I think that maybe isn't the reason why I'm like, you know, for the Yankees offense, right. You have judge who barely hit the ball at all the last, you know, week or so, like, Clint Frazier's been hitting ropes and hitting them at people. Like, 
you know, there's a couple of guys in the Yankees offense, you know, who might be more affected by this, but the Yankees have so many guys who are like super strong, like line drive, exit velo type guys that I feel like, you know, haven't broken out for one reason or another, but that, you know, I'm not just going to be here and be like, oh, well, the ball's dead this year. So that's why we suck on offense. Like, I feel like the Yankees problems aren't quite that simple. And at a certain point, the offensive mindset has to change, right? If, if, Major League Baseball is not going to come out and say, "Yeah, we we took twenty percent of you know, whatever whatever the <laughs> the statistic is that they measure how far a ball travels, you know, out of the ball, right, or whatever we apply it to to make it lighter and travel less, whatever it is." At a certain point, if you come up with bases loaded and no outs, you got to stop thinking double in the gap. You got to think, you know what, the ball's not going to go anywhere. Let's just get in the air and drive it around. Like <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna yeah. hurt teams that rely on hitting the ball in the gap and over the fence. But you're going to have to adjust at a certain point. Yeah, I think we're going to start seeing some teams do that. I don't know if the Yankees are going to do that. Maybe they're not really known for their adjustments at the plate. Um, It'd be nice if they could just take what the pitcher gives them, maybe slap something over second second baseman shortstop's head. But that's not most of the Yankees lineup, so... It'll be interesting to see. That'll also be one of the storylines of the season, I think, since we're already seeing a lot of like national media, like the athletic. I mean, we just said fan graphs. So um, we've, we're already seeing like a lot of the national media kind of talking about this issue. So I think we should see teams adjust to it, hopefully. And maybe it'll actually go the way that MLB planned and people start playing a little bit more small ball start stealing bases dinking and dunking but i don't i don't know i don't know if because baseball baseball guys are also known not really being too far with the times so they're they're not the best at adjusting yeah and it sucks that teams that built especially these old heads a roster a specific way based on a specific ball condition that they've played in for the last three, four years. And now this gets thrown upon them and you, and you look what it's doing. I mean, even the team, like, like, like the Dodgers who got off to such a great start. I mean, they've lost what something Basically like 14 of their last weeks. 20 games. Something like that. It's why like, yeah, even the it's best crazy. of teams are struggling. And, and then you get weird teams like the Red Sox and the Royals in first place. Um, I credit to them, right. For, for excelling yeah, even- right now, but it's weird. I mean, it's not even I mean, like losing eleven for... one right now, but even the Pirates have been playing like pretty good baseball this year, and everybody expecting them to win thirty games again this year. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know with baseball. I just don't feel like, you know, it's not even like oh, this is happening now. We have to adjust to it. Like, I feel like the thing that they're, I don't know, in my opinion, just fairly incapable of doing is thinking ahead. You know, and. I don't know. Not that this is like an unintended consequence, but it's just like, hey, you know what? If we dejuice the ball, what's going to happen? You know, a ball that was ten, de- 10 rows deep in the seats is now going to be, you know, caught 10 feet in front of the outfield. Like, I just don't, I don't see how they could have, you know, how they could have not realized that this was going to happen and make the game more boring. And it's, I've, you know, maybe if they just say like, you know, the hell with you, where this is the ball and this is going to be the ball, but like at that point to just I mean this is what we said with the shifts right left handed power hitters who are hitting the shift should start bunting or slapping the ball to right field and guess what they still haven't done it they're power that's hitters true. Like that's true 
you'd be, you know, a dead and ball, right? You want to hit, hit doubles or hit singles or hit whatever. Like at this point, you're going to still be undoing all the work of the stat cast, you know, sabermetrics era to be like, oh, let's just start hitting differently. Like it's not going to happen. It's just not. I also yeah, think I, if they, a if team that's built gonna, that way is going to succeed right now. I think if they're just going to say, screw you guys, like the ball is the ball, pitch it, hit it, do whatever you're going to do. I think if they're going to say that, they should have did that with the with the live balls, with the juice balls that they had going the last few years. Because like, everybody loves more home runs. Like, screw I the pitchers. Why do they need more help? I don't understand. I, I guess with enough media scrutiny, you're maybe forced to address something. But, like, I don't understand why they addressed it at all. Like, yeah, unless there's a bunch of people in the league office who hate home runs, like, they didn't, he could have just kept saying, like, yeah, I don't know, it's, it must be the warm weather or something, like, he could have just... Well, you had home runs at a historic pace the past few years, and he even teased, I think it was 2019, um, when the Yankees and Twins both shattered the then home run record, that, oh, he would bring out a D-juice ball for the playoffs, I don't think that happened. Uh, but even then, remember how mad we were thinking about like you yeah. can't change a ball that they've been using the entire season and change it up in the in the playoffs like that completely <laughs> undermines what you accomplish in the regular season if you're playing under different conditions. But I think eventually there was enough heat on this, and of course you got a guy like Theo Epstein joining um, the office of the commissioner this year, a guy who likes to tinker around it, and this is kind of like his his mad <laughs> scientist lab, right? Um, I, it sucks, but it's the world we're living in now. I hadn't even thought of Theo being in the in the league offices. That's a good point. I, I could see this definitely being a Theo Epstein move too. It's the same guy who wanted to have bigger bases in the minor leagues, yeah. just for for whatever reason. I mean, stuff doesn't that, have to make sense. That's also interesting. They like, well, MLB to... has been tinkering with stuff in the minors for so long. You wouldn't you would have thought that they should at least test this out in the minors and see how that would work for decreasing home runs but increasing hits and not increasing out like they should have tried that at least but the bigger bases was to encourage more base stealing i think which like i am very okay with encouraging the idea of more base stealing but like in an era where people are still striking out yeah you have to have a historically high pace like yeah they're still striking out at a historically high pace so you're still taking you know i don't know what's probably a fairly small you know, outcome, which is a guy just standing on first base, you know, and uh, and asking him to do that. Like, I don't know, I just feel like it's, you know, you have to do more to actually get people, you know, to get more singles and walks and all the stuff. People are still striking out at, at that historically high pace. Right. All right. Well, well let's, uh, let, let's move on to quickly going through what the Yankees have done the, the past week. As I mentioned, they took two out of three from both the Astros and a crazy raucous series uh just the the fuck altuve chance non-stop uh and then two out of two to three against the washington nationals i mentioned both wins on saturday and sunday coming via the walk-off the offense is still in that bipolar phase where they'll, they'll put up a, a big game they scored seven and six in the first two against houston uh and then they were held to four or less the rest of the week uh so y- you kind of have to expect this is who they are right now. And unless factors like a different ball come into effect, um, maybe a change in offensive philosophy, maybe uh, a roster change, uh, which we'll get into. We have 
um, some help on the horizon later on. Um, I mean, all in all, it, it was still a good week for the Yankees, right? There was things that they could have improved upon. There's obviously specific moments you go back to, like having a lead on Thursday with Garrett Cole on the mound, looking at a potential sweep of the Astros, not winning that game, uh, being tied in the eighth inning at home against the Nationals on Friday, and then just getting bludgeoned the next two innings. Uh, but you're not going to win every game. And, and ultimately, the Yankees still did win seven of nine games uh, this past week and a half at home and sit in second place in the division. So what stood out to you guys over the past six games, maybe a specific moment, uh, a player, uh, a pitching performance, whatever, maybe what, what, uh, what stood out to you? Well, for me, I mean, obviously John Carlos Stanton is hard to, hard to ignore with the way he's been just rocketing the ball off his bat lately. A dude's been just tearing the cover off seems like every single time he hits the ball, it's at least 100 miles an hour off the bat, if not 110. It was the crazy stat. Was it uh, 110 or 115 off the bat where he leads the majors with, like, 19? This was, I think, Saturday or Sunday they were saying that, too, so he's probably got more by now. But it was, I think he was leading the majors with 19, and the next closest was Aaron Judge, who had three. Like, the man's Um. just... My favorite stat as it relates to Stanton was as of last Tuesday or Wednesday, I think, um, middle of the week. Actually, I think it was right before the Astros series. Either way, um, you know, my favorite stat was that he had had about, um, I can't remember the number, sorry. He had a certain number of uh, balls hit 116 miles an hour or harder which that number was more than basically every other team in the league combined. Yeah. I mean, when he's hot, he's <laughs> like white hot. Right. Uh, and, and we saw that he's a guy who's going to go through, through cold stretches. Uh, his walk-off single on Sunday was his first hit of the entire national series. So he's going to go through stretches where uh, he either is not seeing the ball. Well, he's timing a tick off or maybe pitchers are trying uh, a different sequence on him. I mean, this is major league baseball. You're not going to go three for every single night over the course of the season. You're not going to go over four every single night either. Uh, but that was a fun week. And I think he had a home run in all three of those games, right? Against Houston, uh, all three of them either tied the game or, or put the Yankees ahead. Um, albeit the one on Thursday afternoon being in a loss eventually. But for me personally, um, I was really impressed by a guy like Lucas Lickey. Uh, and, and I've been hard on him last week, but I forget the stat. Uh, I could probably look it up real quick, but I think it's like he's 12 straight scoreless innings. Uh, and it's like the longest scoreless stretch of his career since like 2003 or something wild. What a resurgence, right? I mean, he'd kind of shown some chinks in the armor uh, about a week or so ago and kind of, you felt like he was the, the mop up type guy, the, uh, the game's tied or behind type of reliever. And when Britain comes back, he's going to be the guy to go. Now I'm not so sure. And, and that's a guy that you don't think of as, as a high leverage arm. Uh, he's not one of the, the primary names in the, in the New York bullpen, but he's played a really critical role. So I really like what I saw from him. Yeah, he had, he had a really good week. week. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, um, sure. In terms of this past week of Yankees baseball, Stanton is obviously the first to come to yeah, mind. Um, I will say, uh, Gleyber Torres has. I was waiting been... for one of you to bring him up. I was waiting <laughs> well, for one of you to bring him up. I'm your guy. 
um, Glaber Torres, uh, ever since that fateful night where, you know, all of New York Yankees fandom wanted him run out of town, um, has been really good. And he continued to be really good this past week. And, you know, his, his defense, <clears throat> you know, his throwing has been better. His defense has been, you know, less anxiety inducing, um, and that's, you know, you know, by all accounts, he's been working really hard at that. So kudos to him. And, you know, the batting average has been coming up. And as we can all finally stop wondering and groaning about, he had his first home run of the weekend, uh, over the weekend of the season. And, um, yeah, you know, he's had a, he had the game tying and the game winning hit in the game on Saturday, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And he had that, been, uh... He's been on the come up. He had the game tying run on Friday. Was it Friday when uh, on the Hicks infield single when he ended up scoring from first? Was that Friday? Oh, that was yeah. I mean, I I, I, I it see. you that was erased it from your play. memory because it ended up not mattering half an inning later. But that was I remember <laughs> watching him round second on that. I was like, Glaber, what are you doing? Oh, and oh yeah, that was that was Michael Thursday after his loss to Houston. That was Thursday. That was Thursday. Okay, yeah. sorry about that, but it, no, no, I I, 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 okay. it, it, the problem was because we were we had just had our hearts ripped out with that Altuve home run. Uh, so, yeah, but that that was that was one of the most heads up plays that I think I've ever seen. And hearing yeah, him talk about was, it, in, I, I don't in think I've ever seen the Yankees play heads up uh, base run in baseball. Right, he said as he's coming around second, he immediately looked to third. It was it was wide open, but even the entire time, like he knew the catcher was going to come cover third base the entire time running the third base. He's staring at the pitcher. Cause he's saying like, if that pitcher doesn't cover home, which I still can't believe that he just stood on the mound yeah, and watched it. But he said the entire time he was watching the pitcher. And if he didn't make a break towards home, then all he had to do was, was beat Maldonado to the plate. And sure enough, he, he did. What scared me the, the hell out of it though, was he had an ugly looking uh, head first slide. slide into home, and it reminded me exactly of like when I. It was either Didi or. Or Hicks had us no Hicks, tore his UCL on a throw right. I think Didi yeah. may have heard it right before the playoffs on on a very similar play. It's actually scoring the game winning run that that game if I remember well, correctly. And it was also but it looked um, exactly the same, and I just immediately had PTSD because we had already been bashed up that day. He did the same thing. It was. 2016 like right before they were going to call him up if you remember and he did the same thing in triple a he was sliding home and stuck his hand in and i think that's how he ended up getting hurt and that's why we ended up trading for todd frazier if you remember yeah yeah because he was he was uh on the come up and he was about to be playing third base for us every day that season not that come it wasn't coming into the season but it was uh like right after the all-star break he was about to get called up, and then he got yeah, hurt. 2017. It felt right, like right. a week right before he was going to get called up. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's not a graceful slider. <laughs> but I mean, um, it's certainly encouraging to see him turning it around a little bit. Um, the defense has has gotten better for sure. There's still every once in a while a throw that kind of puts your heart up in your throat. Uh, but but he yeah, has I gotten a lot better, and he's made a ton of split yet, plays as well. But I think I would call him average to above average at this point. Yeah. It's not like he's just brutal, like, like Miguel Andujar. Yeah. 
the stats would back that up that he's average right. to above average. <clears throat> and, and that's the thing with him. It's all about mental errors um, and just either limiting it's, them yeah, or making sure that if you're going to make a mistake, can. it's not in a big spot for him. It's not about like just total ineptitude at feeling his position. It's just making brutal mind numbing mistakes at the worst time. And even had a moment like that in that, that fall apart ending on Friday. Remember the, the ground ball that he didn't get in front of it, this body, he tried to back in and just scooted right under his glove. I mean, that game was yeah. already kind of falling away from us at that point, but that's the type of errors he makes. It's not like he <laughs> sits back on a ball and lets it eat him up or double, triple clutches, which he's kind of done a little bit as well, but not as much. Um, but yeah, definitely turning around. And, and after those, those weeks were him hitting into just these weak pop-up constantly hitting into double plays, not looking like he even cared at the plate. I mean, you saw some fire when he hit that home run yesterday. He had a little fist pump. Things are things are looking up. And if the Yankees can get him hitting the way they expect, that's a huge boost to the to a lineup that is already getting back uh, more reinforcements tomorrow. Yeah, we are. Play Torres. So Especially speaking of that, um... Yankees have been <laughs> has, have been fitting him into. Uh, Boone's been putting Glaber in the fifth spot pretty much every day, but. You know, who knows after this next topic that we're about to talk about if that'll change. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll let uh, <clears throat> Nick Nick steal the show here because he's arguably the, the biggest fan of King Lewis, Luke Voigt in our okay. entire blog. And the Yankees haven't announced it yet, but they did. They have been saying all along that he should be ready for the series against Tampa. They optioned Andrew Hart to AAA after yesterday's game. So there is a roster spot and the writing on the wall suggested that it's going to be Luke Voigt. So, Nick, we're getting back the 2020 Major League Baseball home run king. The home, the home run king, King Lewis. I'm excited to have him back. I mean, the man, since he's come to the Yankees, the man's been nothing but consistent. This is the first real injury that he's had. I mean, he had the broken foot last year, but he powered through that one. This is really the first time he's missed, like, an extended period of time with the Yankees. And, I mean, at first, you could really tell, like, the bats, the rest of the bats in the lineup were really missing him. He's a big presence in that lineup. It's really incredible how much he's changed in terms of of an overall hitter. And and I have a a faithful quote that uh, I'm sure people will, um, Alex specifically, will will never let me live down. But I think it was, like, two or three years ago. I just said he's basically right-handed Adam Dunn. And it was just, he was going through a stretch where I think he was something like two for 20, which every hitter goes through, right? But it was just like, this guy just swings to the fences every single time, strikes out a bunch, doesn't play good defense. He's just Adam Dunn, right? And boy, has he proven me wrong over the past few years. Uh, he, he is really a, a complete hitter. Now, again, he's <laughs> very one-dimensional in terms of, he's a right-handed hitter and the Yankees have a ton of those already, but he is a straight-up line-drive hitter who also has the power to, to rip them over the fence. But he's not just a, a pure swing of the fences or strikeout type guy. Yeah, I think, and we're going to see that when he comes back. I think he's going to, him coming back is going to play a huge role in how they play this next stretch. Because, I mean, he could come back slow. It's always, it's an injury. I mean, cleared some stuff up in his knee. So you don't know how you're going to come back from it, but... If he comes out and he's just swinging the bat, getting getting doubles, getting some singles, like he doesn't have to hit a ton of home runs. If he just comes back and he's swinging the bat well, I think we'll see it in this offense, and I think they'll be putting up runs on people. And, I mean, 
it's you know it's not it's it's different when you get back to the major league level after a long layoff. But I will say, he has been pretty much tearing the cover off the ball on his rehab assignment. So he's just been popping extra base hits all over the place, and um, hopefully that translates immediately, and uh, and gives him a shot. You know, gives a little, everyone in the lineup a little bit of energy. And the thing you'd be concerned about is the strength of his knee, right? Uh, he had a, I don't think it was a fully torn meniscus, but um, they didn't do a full repair. They just trimmed it. And that's why he was only out for five or six weeks instead of three months. But he obviously seems pretty stable. I think he had well, either a stolen base or like a hustle double in his first rehab game running hard on it. So it, it seems that it's at full strength and it's not going to be an issue this year. It's not like it's going to be a, a lingering issue that would hamper him, even though he's back in the lineup, like we saw with Hicks last year uh, and potentially even this year still too, that you're, you're not hundred percent coming back from, from Tommy John. I don't think Luke Voigt's going to have any lingering side effects from, from a meniscus trim, but if the Yankees can get him back uh, similar with, with Glaber getting hot, it, it's a huge boost to a lineup that, pretty much needs every every bit uh, every shot in the arm it can get right now because guys we got to talk about it and, and i hate beating this drum but yankees have some problems in their outfield um aaron judge aside you know we know what he is he looks brutal right now i think before his bloop single on saturday he was like one for 23 and they sat him just for maintenance on sunday but we saw what he did last year when he gets hot he could be an mvp level player so is it realistic to expect him to be that kind of guy over 162 games? Probably not. And maybe I'm just too hard on him, but I'm not even really referring to him. Aaron Hicks and Clint Frazier and the former less, less so in the past week than, than the latter, but these guys have, have just been just huge black holes in our lineup. And I know Hicks is turning it around a little bit. He showed some signs of life in the past week. Clint Frazier on the other hand. Oh boy. Yeah, it's not it's not looking good for Clint. And it, I I love Clint. I've loved Clint since we since we brought him over from Cleveland. So it's tough to watch, but he really he's got no clue. He, we, and we were talking about it earlier. He had a few really nice hits um against Corbin, but it wasn't hits, but he made some nice contact at least. But I mean, the, he just looks lost at the plate a lot. Like there, he he's looking at pitches straight down the middle, way more than I've ever seen a major league baseball player do in a twenty five games so far, and like or whatever he's played, he's swinging and missing a lot. Uh, it's just he looks lost, and at least he's not letting it affect him in the field because he's made some really nice plays. He made that great diving catch, so at least he's not letting it affect him in the field. But we got this guy so that he could hit. Like we. We got him. Cashman talks about it a lot. Not anymore, but when he was coming up, legendary bat speed. Like, it's something that we need to see from Clint, and we haven't really seen him on a tear in a while. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the Hicks thing. I I really don't know. Like, he just looks awful. Um, but you know, the last week he's you know he's had some hits. He's had. He's shown more of a pulse than he has all <clears throat> all season. Uh, Clint, I really don't know, because if it was like a year, even last year, right, you could have just sent him down. Even like, you know, when a couple of years ago, Chad Green was pitching like crap, 
and um, they would just they sent him down for like the minimum. He just went down there and struck a bunch of guys out for a week, and then came back. And um, you know, if it was even last year, you could have did that. But you know, coming into this year, right? Brian Cashman says he's our starting left fielder. Like you know, and his defense has been really good. But like other than that, you can't really send him down. I feel like after you do all that. Um, optics wise, like you kind of just have to let him keep going, even if you have to sit him in there and bat him ninth every day. And what's tough for the Yankees is they don't have a lot of other options. We've already traded yeah, away Mike Talkman. Uh, the only other active outfielder is Brett Gardner. And I'll read you some stats in a moment. And Brett Gardner is actually worse than those two guys. Uh, and then the only other guy on the 40 man roster is Esteban Florial, who's currently in double A. I know he did have a cup of coffee up at the big league club last year, but. The Yankees have been very deliberate with him. Yeah, they've been very, very slow in progressing him. He has been making the double A uh, season is what a week and a half old, and he's got four home runs at least. Yeah, he's been, and and that's encouraging. But, but based on uh, six years of of track record, uh, I think the Yankees are going to need to see more than a hot start because they they've seen him and they've nursed him along. Uh, So obviously they haven't thrown him up up the chain fast enough for for whatever reason obviously he's not that kind of player yet but uh, an interesting stat and and again take with it what you will because i personally aren't a huge believer in this stat and maybe it's just because of the dead and ball that we talked about and if this is the the world you're living in now kind of just tough shit right but um, expected weighted on base average per per baseball savant it's a statistic that measures contact quality uh, and also averages in the amount of walks and strikeouts you're having. So essentially um, gauging where you are as a hitter overall, right? Not just batting average or or runs driven in, right? Um, The four worst hitters on the Yankees uh, in order from, from fourth worst to worst are Aaron Hicks, Glaber Torres, Clint Frazier, and Brett Gardner. And Glaber Torres was lower a couple of days ago. Um, He's obviously moved up the food chain a little bit with his, his recent run. Um, and why I'm not a huge believer or I, I'm a skeptic, let's say of this statistic is because you get a guy like Gary Sanchez, who's looked equally as inept at times at the plate. He's he has the third highest weighted uh, expected um, weighted on base average on the team. So does that mean he's hitting the ball really hard and they're always at people and eventually that's going to level out or maybe he's hitting the ball hard and the dead ball means they're not going as far as they used to. And they're not going to continue they're going to go as far, right? So um, clearly these guys are the biggest black eyes uh, on the team. Where do we see this going moving forward? I don't know if there's really much they can do. Hopefully, I mean, with, with Hicks looking better this week, hopefully that means that he progresses forward and starts playing better. It seems like he's seeing the ball better. I saw a lot more 3-2 counts from him this week, which he's Mr. 3-2. So hopefully he improves because with the way Clint's been playing the last few weeks, it doesn't seem like he's going to be getting better at the plate anytime soon. Yeah, with, with Clint, it's rough because even his expected average is, is only 210. Well, he never hits the ball. He strikes out a lot. <laughs> he swings and misses. He he looks. He's sitting there looking at a lot of pitches. I feel like Clint wouldn't have been a guy to me be like super dramatically affected by like 
you know, a deadening of the ball because he hits a lot of line drives. You know, he's not hitting yeah, he, like he wasn't absolute really, moonshots. Like, yeah, he wasn't a power hitter necessarily. He could hit a, a lot of home runs, but you're not thinking. But I think part of the home run power. revolution was a lot of these these mid-tier line drive hitters became power hitters. And if you look at, I mean, just, you know, to name a, a couple guys offhand, like who were never really big-time home run hitters a couple years ago, suddenly they started hitting like 30 home runs here. Guys like Eddie Rosario, guy like Eduardo Escobar, right? I mean, these are yeah. guys that you go back five years, they're hitting five, seven, ten home runs a year, right? Uh, then even, they, they popped out a 30 home Brett runs season in 2018. Like, if you wild. Brett yeah, Brett Gardner, uh, too. He had those. The one year where he, uh, didn't he beat Judge mm-hmm. by the one home run? Like, if they were in, racing uh, that 2019, he hit 28 home runs, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, it, even with him, because he was hitting... <clears throat> He had one home run seasons earlier in his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, Clint hit, he's still hitting the ball. Like, even, the, you know, the, in those against the Nationals, he hit those line drives. Like, maybe it's bad luck. He just he just needs to hit more of them. Like, he needs to stop, you know, you know, unclog his brain or whatever. And stop staring at fastballs right down the middle. He just needs to start hitting the ball more. More than he just yeah, needs it, to like start hitting home runs again. He just needs to make more contact. It's a lot of his approach is part of the issue, I think. And, and I think what well, we, take, we mentioned. No, sorry, go ahead. I'll take his defense. Um, like the fact that he's still playing really good defense out in left and right, like wherever they're putting him. I'll take that as a sign that he's still in tune, like mentally with the game. Like he's still there. He's not starting to get distracted. He's not losing himself in this cold streak because when guys are doing that that's when you start seeing them get affected on defense and kind of get lost in the game so i think that's at least a good sign but yeah his just the actual results of his at bats have not been pretty i think what we're gonna have to see moving forward is and, and i kind of alluded to it previously is a change of approach and maybe it's a leveling of, of a launch angle or uh, maybe shorter swings, whatever it may be. If these guys hitting these, these line drives isn't producing the results, are you just going <laughs> to, are you going to force MLB's yeah. hand and, and just keep doing it and comp- complete, uh, continue to bitch and complain until they change the ball, which they probably until won't. They change or, it. Are you going to make the adjustment yourself because you want better results? And I know that's hard. If you played your entire career hitting the ball, a certain way, swinging a certain way, having mechanics, and then having to change that. But we can't continue to have so many major league hitters below the Mendoza line in starting lineups every single day that aren't pitchers, by the way. Well, and I mean, another outside average is up to one ninety eight, so we could be crossing one off the list very soon. He's he's getting there. He's getting there. Another outside or not outside, but not really common uh, answer could be maybe Andujar. Like we called him up last week, obviously he just got called down after Sunday's game, but if he can at least hit and play like a decent left field, I wouldn't hate seeing him out there most days. Actually, I mean, obviously that's two things on that, Twitter you about that like recently, um, you know, wondering a lot about that. They're like Andujar was in triple a hitting, Really well, honestly. He was sitting in AAA. Um, yeah, he was great. You know, it came up for a minute. You know, it's hard to really get anything going, you know, right off the jump when you have been in the majors for a long time. But, like, um, 
you know, if he goes and if he's back down to AAA hitting a while, like, um, you know, he could get a shot. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I still think it'd be a, like a long way before they just say like, all right, Clint, well, that's it. You know, they don't really yeah, have, a, I think they're going to give a better options. Um, they've been through so much with Clint already. I feel like they're, they're going to give him, you know, give him a long leash out there. Yeah, there's, there's literally what four options. One is just to ride it out and start him every single day, uh, to bench him until he figures it out, to trade him, or to fake an injury and have him get, uh, you know, rehab at bats in the minors because he doesn't Which have they options. Can't you do can't do because there will be a grievance. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's not a lot of wiggle room here. So does that have to Certainly do with exactly what they did with feathers. Jacoby Ellsbury, which is send someone to his house and put lead in his drinking water. Yeah, never or, see or him or again. Pipe in his knee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, the you know, what snuck into his house when he was sleeping and you know, like cracked his hip or something. Whatever. He came up with a new ailment every single every single two week update that they gave after his paychecks cleared. That's so crazy. All right, but I mean, I do just want to touch upon real quick, just because we, we kind of glazed over it in the National Series. Guys, Max Scherzer is pretty fucking good at baseball. Like, holy shit. Yes, yes he is. It's that, He really is one of the more fun pitchers to watch, too. I love, I mean, it's tough when you're on the other side of it, but the emotion he shows on the mound is just incredible. Like, that's what I want to see out of pitchers. Um, yeah, that guy's insane. Like he's he's absolutely crazy. Like legitimately crazy. Clinically insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's out there just like you know screaming at himself, like muttering under his breath, like an absolute maniac on the mound. Like he's running off he's, the mound no, after a strike. He's guy. wild. Yeah. Like he's absolutely absolutely wild. But he's so much. He's so much fun to watch. Yeah. So he he did pick up a, a no decision in Saturday's game, but for all intents and purposes, um, he deserved a win. I'm glad he didn't get a win because that would have meant that we didn't come back. Uh, in the fashion we uh, did, but um, 14 strikeouts and what was it, seven and a third, seven and two thirds innings, uh, and I think he had 10 of his first 12 outs were recorded via strikeout uh, through the first four innings. Like, oh, shit, this guy's gonna pitch a perfect game. Like, there's no fucking chance we have putting anyone on base today. 14 strikeouts. That's a new record for a visiting pitcher at the New Yankee Stadium. 14 yes, it is. beating the 13 by All World Ace Matt Boyd in 2019. Oh my God! What a stat! Don't remind me. Don't remind yeah. me. All right, so we've covered you know, who's hot and who's not. We kind of went through uh, the Yankees' homestand. Uh, before we look ahead to uh, the upcoming road trip, which I mentioned starts in Tampa Bay tomorrow against the Rays, a uh, team that we've lost five out of six to this year and desperately uh, need some wins against. Let's get into uh, this week's bullpen trust list now. Um, obviously, we, we had it last week. Nick, this will be your, your first time doing it. Um, so we'll start with you. Just <laughs> put you right, okay. right in the spotlight. Um, well, start with one. Obviously, I think we're all going to have the same person here. Chappie's been fucking incredible this year. Just tremendous. I don't have his stats in front of me, but I mean, he's got... It's like 60% strikeouts are his outs. Like, it, the man's been, that splitter is incredible. His, his slider's been sick. His fastball's been running. So, I mean, Chapman won. I feel like that's obvious. Two, I'm going to put, I mean, he had a 
he had a rough outing, but Chad Green, he he's just all reliable. Chad Green's been good for feels like forever now. He's been one of the best relievers the Yankees have had in recent memory. Uh, number three, I feel like this one's gonna be a bit of a shock, but Wandy Peralta, he's been really good for us. Like, nice. I, I think he's done a really good. I don't know if you guys are going to have him this high. I don't think you will, but it's only been, I think, 3.1 innings, I believe it was, but he hasn't allowed a run. He's looked really good. His change-ups looked really nice. I like his change-up a lot. Um, so I'm going to put – I'm putting Wandy three. Four, um, I got Johnny Lasagna. I mean, he's got a 2.89 ERA on the season. He had that stretch where he hadn't – even allowed a runner um, that he had come on with uh, to score. So he, he's got the fastball running this year. He's looked really good. He's looked good for stretches in other seasons. He hasn't really put it together for a full season. So hopefully this is the first year that he could do that. But he's looked really good. And then the number five spot, I think we might all have – Completely different fives, because this is just where you kind of lose it. I'm going with Luis Sessa. I, you could kind of put anybody here. You, it's tough. I don't, I don't like putting Luis Sessa five. I don't trust him that much, but I guess I trust him the fifth amount or the fifth most in uh, the current bullpen. I was thinking about putting Zach Britton here, even though we're still not going to see him for a while. But I decided not to. So that's my top five. Nice. G, what do you got? <clears throat> All right. Um, I will say, so I did go with Luis Sessa last week. Um, and, also and then Friday happened. My, um, well, no. What, were, I, <laughs> yeah, what, I was the, what was the category that we did last week? Like the least trusted or you know, the one you don't like or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, um. This week was maybe not a great week, to say the least. I'm understating. This was an adventurous week for the Yankees' bullpen, and as such, I'm going to give a variation and give you my four truths and a lie bullpen trust list. Okay. Out of order. Okay. <clears throat> this, all right, so, so, yeah, you can guess if you want, but otherwise, yeah, I'll leave it to the viewer's imagination. In What's no particular order. <laughs> Lucas Slipke, Chad Green, Johnny Lasagna, Chapman, and Luis Sessa. Wow. Well, well Sessa's someone who was on my so... list, someone who was on my list last week already fell off of it for a different reason. <laughs> Is that uh, who, who was on last? Was it... I didn't even think. I know you, you hated Justin Wilson, but he wasn't. He didn't make I mean, it this week. I mean, I couldn't even. I couldn't even pretend like I was going to lie about him. He's just been bad. Like, <laughs> it would have been a very obvious lie. Yeah, and, and Nick Nelson for sure um, uh, has been yeah. down in the minors for a few yeah. weeks, but uh, well, he's got to prove so, himself before anyone trusts him. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll, I'll spoil it all. Um, Michael King was on the list. Last week, I think we even saw him briefly this week, but he just yeah, he, he only has about twelve innings. Yeah, he's got twelve innings on the season. Like he he pitched really well in those long relief outings, but he just hasn't pitched enough. So I'm um, mildly disqualifying him. 
uh, for the time being. And um, yeah, if you listened or know me at all, then you would know pretty easily that the lie is Louis Sessa because I don't like him and he's not very good. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not lying. You're not lying when you say that. But... No, I mean it's like it's. I feel like this is my cop out roundabout way of having Louis Sessa on the least uh, on the list while also not saying or you know saying that I don't actually trust him. That's this is my way of doing that. So no, no, no. I I, I totally get that. Um... For, for me, same reasons you mentioned about Mike King and the same reason I excluded him last week, I'm going to do it again this week, simply because he hasn't had enough opportunity. He's only appeared in, what, four games? Uh, he's done very well in those long-relief appearances, but um, for whether it's roster management, whether they don't trust him, whether he pitches a lot and they know he's going to be unusable for five or six days anyway, so they send him down, um, he hasn't gotten a regular opportunity in the bullpen so for that reason i'm going to disqualify him from my rankings uh, i'm actually going to have similar list to what nick had i'm going to put wandy peralta at number five uh like you said he's only pitched you know, three four innings and he's looked incredible uh, an interesting stat good. his his barrels uh per plate appearance is 2.1 <laughs> uh, i know small sample size but his his fastball looks really good. He's got a lot of movement in his off-speed stuff. He's another left-handed reliever in the bullpen, which the Yankees, I, I have to say, are the, are the most left-handed bullpen in baseball. And, and I kind of like it because it's it's different. Uh, and a lot of these guys don't have splits like they used to, where you had left-handers come in and just get bludgeoned by right-handed hitters. Um, that's not really the case anymore. Um, so Peralta's at, at five for me. Uh, I'm actually going to push Lucas Lukey all the way up to, to number four, just based on his last like I said, 12 innings or so, uh, which he's gone scoreless. He's very quietly been rock solid for the Yankees. I think the last time he gave up runs was um, that short start by Corey Kluber in Tampa Bay where they went like two innings. Nelson came in, got shit on. Lukey came in, gave up a couple runs in like his first inning and then was nails the last two or three of that appearance. Uh, and then he hasn't allowed a run since. So he's at four for me. I'm going to put Jonathan Loisga at three. I had him at two last week. Um, I still love him. Uh, I know he got roughed up a little bit on, on Friday night, but he was at the mercy of a couple errors in that game too. And I think if Judge doesn't make the yeah. error on the single and then uh, DJ LeMahieu doesn't make the throwing error from third, that inning could be completely different. It could just be a clean inning. Um, so I still absolutely trust Jonathan Moazka. Chad Green's at number two. And obviously, no shocker, Araldis Chapman, who continues to look like the best reliever in baseball, finally allowed an earned run because of that bullshit ghost runner rule. Uh, excuse me, a run was not earned. Um, He's number one on all of our lists. <laughs> and yeah, before and I forget. That was obvious. Ooh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, I, I do want to mention, because I forgot one thing at, at, at the intro to our show. And before we get into uh, the race series preview, I, I do have to make sure I throw it in here. Um, Nick, we have a tradition on on the BBB, uh, the Bronx Hard Battle podcast, where everyone's first time on the podcast, they're required to name their least favorite Yankee of all time. And why? Uh, it's kind of like our our indoctrination, our hazing, whatever you want to call it. Um, but okay. spotlight's on you now. Uh, I know we we gave you a heads up on this in advance. You had some time to to stew it over. But uh, least favorite Yankee of all time. Go ahead. No, and no, I didn't need too much time to stew on this one because once I gave it some real thought, my least favorite Yankee of all time, Andrew Jones. 
And I'm, I'm sure that's probably an answer that's never been given before because Andrew Jones, I mean, it's absolutely not like he, a brand new. Answer. It's not like he was terrible with the Yankees. It's not like he, I mean, it was two years at the end of his career. By the way, I want to say, I think he is a Hall of Famer. But so the reasoning for me putting Andrew Jones as my least favorite Yankee is because I went to, we brought, uh, it was like 2012, I want to say. Let's see. Yeah, 2012, his last year. 2012. So it was one of those two years. He, uh, me and my cousin went to a game. It was at the old Tropa, or not old, at Tropicana Field in Tampa Bay. We were visiting my sister in college at the time. And uh, we went, we were right in the left field bleachers. And we, batting practice, stared him down. We were screaming, Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones, give us a ball. He, he looked me dead in the eyes with a baseball and then just threw it in, threw it into the infield. I had my Yankees gear on. I had my Yankees hat on. My cousin had his Yankees gear on, stared us in the eyes and threw the ball back into the infield. It was batting practice. I was like 15. I don't know. And I don't know. That just that pissed me off. So since then, I've hated Andrew Jones. I think he's a Hall of Famer. He had a great career. I mean, the dude slugged early in his career, but fuck Andrew Jones. Give me that baseball. <laughs> Give me that goddamn baseball. No, I we think that's the, the only Yankees fans in the stadium. At the, probably the only fans in the stadium at the time, up in Tropicana Field. <clears throat> and he refused. And now for a word in defense of Andrew Jones, completely unrelated to that. Um, I went to a game whenever it was what two years three years that he was on the team back um in the early days of city field when you know the mets couldn't hit home runs there but everyone else could and that was hilarious um and i remember going there and seeing batting practice and watching the yankees you know just destroy baseballs like you know a rod to share like Andrew Jones you was know, hitting balls into the third deck. Like Andrew Jones was destroying baseballs. baseballs. Yeah, like he was absolutely he was slugging the baseball. He was very fun. <laughs> Him in Atlanta, those Atlanta days, he was a great baseball player. And that's what makes this so much worse. I didn't mind him. I thought he was a pretty good baseball player. And then he had to do that to me. So fuck I Andrew think Jones. Your your story is the first first hand account we've ever had. Um in everything else is there's a reason as to why someone doesn't like someone else I, I wish I, I wish I didn't I wish I didn't have to eat Andrew Jones I wish I wish I could have said like Tyler Clippard or some shit like that yeah no. we've had all the cliches right like like Tyler Wade Jacoby Ellsbury uh, I think Ellsbury. maybe Clippard was in there um you know the the very obvious reasons the guys who came in and just sucked constantly right but Andrew yeah. Jones was before you you got into the story I was like where the hell is he gonna go with this one that's funny as hell <laughs> yeah it, it and me and my cousin still to this day, like, we'll just look at each other and be like, remember Andrew Jones? And just shake our heads so mad. All right, well, let's uh, wrap the show up here by by previewing uh, the upcoming road trip. Again, mentioned the Yankees have three games in Tampa Bay, three games in Baltimore, and then their first look in its second season at the new Globe Life Field in, in Texas an incredible new ballpark that I certainly want to want to go visit, but um, Yankees weren't able to last year because they played the, the regional only schedule, but 
The Yankees, we, 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 we kind of lucked out a little bit. I believe um, unless the Rays pull some weird shit, which they, they, they'll do from time to time, we're going to miss Tyler Glass now, which is a huge, huge blessing, this guy. <laughs> I don't even yeah, think yeah. Guy is. There's no, it's just a blessing. <laughs> um, uh, I, was so, looking, I was looking ahead to that when we were uh, pre-show. I was looking ahead. And apparently, ESPN at least says we should have uh, Yarborough coming up first game against Gumby, Josh Fleming Fleming against Garrett Cole, and then Rich Hill game three against Jameson Tyon. Which technically the Rays, as right now, it's listed as Luis Patino to start um, tomorrow's game, but tomorrow uh, he's he's brand new up in the bigs along with Shane McClanahan. He's probably going to do you know the opener. But for the Rays, they don't do like a two or three batter opener anymore. They do like a two or three inning, and then Yarbrough will be the bulk guy. Yeah. Um, if they've sched- if they have him scheduled to pitch, he'll he'll get four or five innings of work, no doubt. Uh, but yeah, Patino's been, really been electric in his, in his short, um, in his limited exposure so far. And if we can miss McClanahan, jeez, uh, that that'll be awesome because I don't know if you guys have seen him. He is just wild, and that's going to be a guy that we're going to just. <laughs> we're going to be miserable having the face for the next five to seven years, unless they do the raise thing and wait till he, he's about in line for wait a paycheck and they arbitration and yeah. then trade him. Right, right, right. So obviously the Yankees have no uh, major league at bats against Patino. Um, they have plenty against Yarbrough, but Montgomery is going to be tasked with kicking the series off. Right. The Yankees have dropped. I don't even know what the number is. I mean, they won the most recent game, that extra innings bananas game with uh, Odor having the, the go-ahead single in the 10th, and we scored like three or four more times. Uh, but before that, the Yankees had dropped, what was it, like 10 in a row at Tropicana? That place is a house of horrors for us. Yeah, and I, I hate going there. I hate watching the Yankees go there. I hate that place. It's stupid. It looks dumb. The, the catwalk is dumb. The fact that the catwalk is live ball is dumb. Just everything about that. They play just terrible. constant music when when uh, the opposition's up. Just noise. They they literally just call it noise. It's just a montage yeah, of, of nonsense. I said it. Like I said it on a previous episode of the season. You could only just tear the roof, like tear the roof off of that building and do no additional work, and it would be an improvement. Yeah, yeah. an open air really, ballpark. It really would. Uh, that'd be awesome. Because the dimensions are fine. I mean, the turf is usually a sore spot for us. Um, Yankees have some injury history on the Tropicana Field turf. Uh, I think the Yankees, in in at least the last year or so, specifically the outfielders, have moved to changing their shoes constantly. So when they're in the field, they're wearing sneakers. And then when they're at bat, they're, they're wearing spikes, which I have no problem with. If it's going to limit, like a big guy like Aaron Judge, 270 pounds standing, on his feet, barely moving in spikes on that turf for three hours a night. Like, that's going to lead to injuries. Like, so yes. fuck that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the Yankees definitely need to get off to a hot start in this series. And and Montgomery only has, um, well, he has one start against Tampa Bay this year. Was okay. Pitched six innings, uh, allowed two home runs, four earned. I believe that was the Sunday game that they ended up coming back and winning. Um, so he has pitched in this ballpark too, but outside of that, his numbers are kind of up and down against Tampa Bay in his career. How do we feel about, um, 
going into this series, knowing that they, they absolutely had our number, including winning three straight in New York just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I mean, you you at least feel good about the pitchers we got going. Gumby had a pretty good uh, pretty good outing last time against the Astros. He went uh, six innings, I believe. Yep, eight hits, uh, four strikeouts, and only allowed three earned. So he, I mean, he did allow a decent amount of hits that game, but he, every single time he would get out of trouble. And then obviously we got the ace Garrett Cole, and then Talion coming up game three, who also had a pretty good outing uh, last time against Washington. Obviously, kind of soured when he gave up that home run, but I mean, he looked good for most of it. No, the thing about Jamo was that he finished really strong. Both those home runs yeah. were issued in the second inning, and I think he retired. What was it like, fourteen straight to end the end his outing? He he finished. Yeah, I, th- I think really he strong. I think he gave up a single or a or a walk, and that's why Boone ended up pulling him. But yeah, mm-hmm. he he went on that run in the middle of that game where everybody he was just mowing them down. Yeah. Let's see, I'll uh, let you. Uh, I mean, this is. Uh, well, yeah, not yet so, known, right? But but you you have a, a an update coming on uh, about uh, Kluber and Tyone specifically um, set to to post tomorrow. You want to uh, get some words in on that? Yeah, I'll drop a little teaser, you know, for the article dropping tomorrow slash today. Um, and yeah, I mean, Tyone, I think was a longer. I, not I think it just was Tyone was a longer road back had pitched in 2019 um, and got off to a little bit of a rocky start had a couple of short outings but you know the Yankees were going to bring him along slowly and they have but I think it's warranted and it's paying off you know if even if not in flashes but you know it's paying off already and um, you know the goal is obviously with a long term and to be hitting your stride when the playoffs come. Um, you know, Tyone, who we're going to see this series, Kluber is the same, a different version of the same story because um, he's had, you know, more success. Um, but uh, Tyone, his starts have been getting better, and I'd be very interested to see now that you're facing not the last place Tigers and not the last place Nationals, but like a team that you will need to beat, right? You you know, you could say that about the Yankees in general, right? Like they've been winning series against bad teams, but like those teams are on their schedule and you have to win the series. So they went out and won them. And now you have to win a series against a team that's good and in your division and everything else that we've described the Rays as. So be very interested to see this, you know, next step in Tyone's, process this season uh, against a team that the Yankees do need to beat this week. Yeah, it'll be a good a good test of, of the progress he's been making. Yeah, and, and, and obviously about, against a quality opponent. We talked about Scherzer earlier in the uh, pod, but also Kluber in that game was really, really good too. And he ended up going 5.2 and had six strikeouts. And he had six hits, but he really impressed me in that outing. Yeah, Kluber's uh, not going to mow down can... guys like he did against Detroit. I mean, that's not the kind of guy he's going to be against high-end opponents probably anymore. I mean, you, you may get one or two fluke outings here and there. Uh, but 
at this point in his career, he's he's trying to figure out his control, which was always um, a, a patented Kluber weapon. Um, and again, coming back from the shoulder injury, you, you figure that'll come back over time. But he's going to grind starts out similar to um, the way Jordan Montgomery has to pitch, right? But but Kluber's got got some mean stuff still. His, his the the movement on some of his off speed stuff is is crazy. He's not going to let it the the radar gun, but he knows how to pitch. No, there's a couple of guys in the league who you could describe their stuff as like, like throwing a wiffle ball and Kluber, you know, times the season really has looked like that. Like his sliders, you know, breaking balls, change ups, like his stuff is moving. You know, Kyle Higashioka described it as video game stuff. Like his stuff is moving like crazy. And once he gets further into the season, gets a little bit more feel back, um, you know, for it all, it, it's, you know, I think, I think he's going to keep, pitching well and I think he you know maybe not to Cy Young level but I think he's got another level to go to yeah, yeah what was the quote from Higgy that it's like when you just randomly push buttons when you're playing the yeah, video he game said, he said basically <laughs> that it's like you know you could just when you play a video game you could just throw any pitch at any time that's so fun and he said obviously I'm not doing that with Kluber but I could and he would have similar results right yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's some of the sequences, like if you look at like Pitching Ninja and stuff like that, you see some of the sequences are just very, very silly to watch. And that's pretty cool because that's the upgrade that the Yankees were looking for when... Yeah, and when you're you not going to blow by 98 like pass guys, that's how you have to pitch at this stage in your career. Yeah, and it feels it feels good this season. Because it's not really something we've had in past seasons where, like, the starting pitching has just been nails. Like, it seems like every single game, starting pitching goes at least five innings, one or two earned runs at most. And, like, it's really been, I don't want to say the bullpen's, like, killed us this year, but it's been the bullpen that's at least hurt us more in the pitching department this year. Obviously, the offense is the big issue. But it's really nice just having, like, good starting pitching. Well, I mean, this was the upgrade that they were looking for, right? You let a guy like Tanaka walk, and he was a fan favorite. And but like Tanaka would go out there and pitch in eight, like six innings on one one start, and then pitch like four, a bunch of other ones. Like yeah. J-Hap was a veteran, and Yankee fans, I feel like, pretty universally did not like him, and that was fairly warranted. But like, you know, you had known commodities, and you went out and got, you know, very seriously recently injured pretty unknown commodities and the talent was there and so far it's paying off and because i said all this please still read my article tomorrow (laughs) yeah that was the big risk and and i think um yankee fans were very quick to fly off the handle um with with regards to kluber and tyone specifically just because they were the brian cashman acquisitions and when the yankees are losing it's very easy to to go at the gm and say this is your fault this is the roster you built uh, and yeah, they weren't pitching great, but like I've said it before, if you expect them to come out the gate and throw seven shutout innings, like in their first two or three starts, you needed a reality check, right? And ultimately, the offense was the biggest Achilles heel of the team anyway. Uh, and now that those guys are rounding into form, now we can continue to focus on the offense. And if that comes into play a little more, <laughs> like the Yankees were five and ten at one point, and now they're eighteen and sixteen. So <laughs> the wins yeah, are. I mean, like there's there's pressure on the offense to perform regardless, but like if your pitching is just. You know, if your rotation is turning over time after time after time and just turning in good outings, like that pressure to a degree is lessened on the offense because, you know, you're not going to have to 
you know, force you to go out and score five or six runs. Like you could just go out and hopefully do that because you're good at your job. Like, <laughs> yep. It's like you said, uh, we got Tyone going on on Sunday, and then Kluber should get his second, his next start uh, again at Baltimore, which was outside of that eight inning Detroit start was his other strong start of the season. I believe he pinched seven shutout, right? That, that's where he got his first. It was um, six and a third for Kluber, six and a third with one run. It was which I think his was first time. He wound up pitching like 14, 14 scoreless or 14 one-run yeah, innings over two weeks. It was six and two-third, uh, one earned against Baltimore. That's where he got his first win. I think it was the first time he went past five innings for the Yankees this year. Um, yeah, it was. So you don't want it to come in his fourth or fifth start. Four and two-thirds. Mm-hmm. But hey, look, things are, are starting to, to look up with this team. Obviously, we do have the, the concerns with, with certain hitters. Um, thank God for John Carlson in, in, in the past week, because without the production we got from Stanton, we'd, we'd be in a world of hurt. But um, yeah, We'd be very miserable on this podcast. That's what you need. Look, if, this week. if the Yankees aren't going to be one of those elite, everyone's hitting type offenses uh, this year, all you need is one or two guys to get hot every week. And it can cycle, right? Like I'm okay with Aaron Hicks looking like the worst hitter in baseball for, for three weeks at a time, as long as Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, DJ LeMayu are picking up when he's down, and then one week Hicks gets really hot and carries it when those other guys may have a couple of rough games. That's how you're going to have to win, and you're going to have to pitch well. And it may not be the kind of offense we've become accustomed to in, in the past years, but win, wins are wins, right? I'll take them anyway I can get them. Yeah. I mean, and even – Maybe that'll, I don't want to sound like a boomer here, but maybe that'll give this team like a little bit of toughness because they've been, to be honest, like they've kicked the shit out of some teams in the last two, three years. And that doesn't really make you like, obviously it helps, winning always helps, but that doesn't make you a better playoff team in October. Those tight games where you have to win them late and pitch well throughout like those are the games that really end up helping you in September when you're fighting for playoffs and October when you're trying to win a World Series it's definitely good conditioning for the type of games they're going to have to win when they actually matter the most yeah, I mean it's good you know with this race series come up you <clears throat> not that they're must win games by any stretch but like a team that you've been down bad against for a while like to get an early taste of you know a sense of urgency right you don't want to keep giving up games to the rays or any division opponent so um you know you get a little sense of that you you know you get up on the edge of your seat a little bit and hopefully they can uh, answer the bell this week all right well uh, on that note i think uh, we we can wrap up tonight um Nick, it was awesome having you on here. I uh, hope to great being on. make some more uh, regular currents. Um, yeah. Trying to Let's do our, our best to get everyone involved this year. And um, I'm sure you'll be <laughs> the most outspoken person uh, this upcoming week, seeing your boy Luke back in, in the lineup. Oh, it'll, be, it'll be incredible. I, I'm excited. I'm just excited to see him again. Like that's a, just in the, in the dugout, just doing his thing. Yelling at guys, jersey half unbuttoned, like yeah, showing showing a little showing a little bit of chest, having that chain popping out, 
it's gonna be it's gonna be hop great to watch <laughs> laughing like he he really that's another like uh i don't want to say underrated part but kind of underrated part about his game is like not even his game but he just lightens the mood in the locker room it seems like he's just a great guy around everybody on the team everybody loves him so i think that'll also just him being around is going to help the guys just be in a better mood going into games and that that alone could make you play better and you know what it gets mike ford out of the lineup so that yes <laughs> and yes, really please. isn't that something that we can all just be happy about yes <laughs> all right so so for andrew for g for nick this has been the bronx bomber battle podcast let's start fucking beating tampa bay yes amen okay.